All right. Praise God. You ready for the word? Keep standing. I think, I think it'd be good to stand while we read the word of God. Does that feel right to do that? Okay. Let's, let's read the word here. Galatians 3.23 through verse 28. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would be afterwards revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you the word of God is chock full of the spiritual nutrients that we're going to need in our life this week. And Lord, I thank you, Father, we're going to receive it by faith and be nourished by it. Holy Spirit, we call upon you as the divine teacher this morning to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what's being said. Father, I thank you for speaking directly to your children as they walk, uh, walk away today. They would have heard from you today, and only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. High five someone and you can sit. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, let's get into verse 23, start unpacking our lunch. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Before faith came, that's the faith, that's everything that has to deal with Jesus Christ, his finished work, his perfect life for us, his death on the cross, his resurrection, and is seating at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. This is what we call the faith. It's our trust in that grace for our life. So it says, before the faith came, before Jesus showed up, we, speaking the Jews, were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. In this section of Scripture we just read, Paul's going to liken the law to two things. He's going to liken it to a jailer. No one in here has ever had experience with that, a jailer. And second of all, he's going to liken it to a child guardian, a guardian of a child. And so we will look at these two things. But first of all, he says that the law kept the nation of Israel and those under it under guard by the law. And so Paul personalized the law as a prison guard, keeping them in a prison of guilt and condemnation until the liberator would come, until the justifier that would come would pay the debt the prisoner owed and satisfy the broken law and so that the person could get set free out of the prison. And so the law, we thought, well, the law had bad intentions. Had bad, no, the law never really had bad intentions. The law was set for a purpose it was there just to wait until the time the liberator would come. And then once Jesus showed up, the law would smile and walk away satisfied by what Jesus would do. And so Jesus came to liberate the captives. And so we were all on death row without any hope or help in a prison of guilt. 
And we saw that even the Gentiles were held guilty because the giving of the law to the Jews, they were seen as guilty and the whole world was held guilty because no one can measure up to God's perfect standard. So we're all shut up in a prison of guilt and shame based on a, law, a lifestyle of performance. If you want to try to, to relate to God based on what you do, you're always going to live in guilt and shame. And it will lock you up in a prison. You know a prisoner, one thing about a prisoner, they don't go anywhere. They can walk around, around, around their little cell, but they're in a prison. And someone that's, that's, that's trying to relate to God, trying to be accepted by God, by what they're doing, will never achieve it. Because your heart and your conscience will always tell you you've missed it. You failed a perfection. And so when you have this mentality that I got to do something to be right and accepted by God, then you're going to keep trying. And the harder you try, the more your heart will condemn you because the more you fail. And there's many Christians today that have been saved. They're eternally have a home in heaven, but they're in a prison today of guilt and shame and condemnation because they don't measure up and they feel like they're not acceptable to God. Today, Jesus has come to unlock yourself. Luke 4.18, Jesus said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. What's the gospel to the poor? It's good news to the poor. What is good news to the poor? You don't have to be poor no more. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's the news to you. If you're lacking something in your life, you don't have to lack anymore. That he, wanted, he wants to graciously, unmerited supply for your lack. But it says here, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You may have a broken heart today. Some may have, someone may have let you down and, or, or uh, abused you and maybe some things that have happened to you when you were a child that should have never happened. And your heart is broken, and the Lord sees that. And Jesus Christ is not only saying that now, he's saying that here, he's here today. And I believe he's touching a broken heart today. But then he goes on to say, to proclaim liberty to the who? To the captive. Those living under a life of legalism, trying to be good enough for God, and failing miserably. And so he's here to set us free from this prison. And it says that the law was sent as a prison guard so that we'd be kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Say revealed. See, the problem is, is that we need to have a revelation of what Jesus has already done for us. The problem is for Christian life is that we have a revelation problem. You don't have a money problem. You have a revelation problem. You don't have a problem being right with God. You have a revelation problem that, you're, he, that he's already made you right with God. And so the more you struggle to live for God on your own efforts to try to be acceptable to him, the, the less faith you're going to have. Let me say this. Self-effort and trust cannot coexist. Right now in your life, you're either doing one or the other. You're either trusting in what Jesus did for you, 
as enough to make you right, make you accepted, make, to, to qualify you to be healed, qualify you to have your rent paid, your mortgage paid, for, for your marriage, for God to move in your marriage. So either you believe you're trusting fully in that or you're in self-effort trying to deserve that. See, we try to mix it. Well, I'll do my best, Lord, and then you make up the rest. God didn't operate that way. It's either 100% your trust in what he's done or 100% trust in you. Well, pastor, I always try to do my best. Well, you just lied in church. <laughs> Why would you lie in church? You don't always do your best. And even if you did, it fails of God's perfect standard. And your heart knows it, your conscience knows it, and you'll be in a prison of condemnation and guilt. But Jesus is here to set you free. It's called the faith for a reason. There's some today teaching it's just the grace of God. Grace saves everybody, does everything, and it doesn't matter what anyone believes. But it's called the faith for a reason. It's because grace is what God's done. Faith is your receiving it. God doesn't force anything on you. The cornerstone of love is choice. He never forced you. That's called slavery. And God's not into slavery. He's into setting you free. And so you have a part... God has a part and you have a part. Tell someone you have a part. <laughs> See, God will give you faith. He'll even give you the faith that you need, but he won't do your believing for you. You know there's a difference between faith and believing? No, there's no difference, Pastor. Yeah, yeah, there's a difference. No, no, Pastor, there's no difference. No, yep, there is. I'll prove it to you. Faith is a noun. Person, place, or thing. I'm bringing back bad memories of... of Elementary school. I never did get what that noun was. Person, place, or thing. Faith is a, is a, is a noun. Believe is a verb. That's a, what's a verb? It's a noun in action. So, so they're not the same thing. Faith will, God will give you faith by hearing his word. He'll give you faith, but he will not do your believing for you. Believing is your choice to use your faith, to speak it, to act on it, to receive what God's done. He's not going to do that for you. Look at verse 24. And so he's going to move on now beyond the jailer. He was also, he's also going to say the law acted as a child guardian. Therefore, the law was our tutor. I think your King James says schoolmaster. Both of them are bad translations. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Before I get into understanding what is this tutor or schoolmaster, uh, Bad translations, but what, it, what was this, this in this verse? Before we get there, you need to understand something else. You need to understand a Roman, uh, a Roman custom of the day that Paul's going to actually describe here and into the next chapter that we don't understand today because we don't, we don't do the same thing they used to do. Now, this is the, Paul's going to describe what happened within the Roman family. And so the, the whole known world was under the Roman Empire. And Rome controlled the entire world, and so the customs and policies of Rome ruled that day. And in Galatia, the Roman policies and customs were in effect. And so Paul's going to talk about a Roman custom, well known in that day, and the readers would know full well what he was talking about, but we not so much. He's going to bring about uh, adoption. Adoption. So when we think of adoption today, what do we think? We think a child that was not born in our family, that we take, it, take that into our family, 
and we give them full rights of the family to become part of the family. And so we think that's adoption, but that's not the Bible understanding of adoption. In the Roman world, you didn't adopt ones born outside your home. You adopted your own children. So when you, have, when you had children given birth, they were given over to guardians. We're going to talk about what was the role of the guardian. But a guardian had control over that child from the age around 6 to 16. And that child had no rights and had differed nothing than a servant in the house. Interesting. But at the age of 16, they went through a ceremony to where they, were put, they put a garment of sonship on them and they were legally adopted into the family and was able to have full rights of the family name, the resources, and the counsels of the family. And so Paul's going to describe this process, and we're going to look at today, that that was what was happening with the law. The law was that guardian until they received sonship. And so um, let's read Galatians 4.1. Well, Pastor, where do you find that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Uh, next week, we'll actually look closer at this, but to clarify this, that's in the Word, go to Galatians chapter 4, look at verse 1. He's going to describe it right here, what I just shared with you. Galatians 4.1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave though he may be master of all or called to be the master of the house. Verse 2, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Verse 3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that they might receive the adoption as sons. And so this is the process that Paul's talking about. And so let's look at this tutor. It's the Greek word pedagogue. We actually get the word pedagogue from this. And so what is a pedagogue? It was a part babysitter and part chaperone. This, this was not a teacher. It wasn't the student's teacher. It was a custodian. It was a slave in the home with a special task to look after the child. He exercised general supervision over the child's activities. It was his responsibility to bring the child to school to be educated and bring them back home. They were also had the full right to discipline the child if they got out of line. They revealed the standard required of the child and focused on pointing out what was wrong with the child's behavior and punished their missteps. The slave was not the child's father. He was the child's guardian and disciplinarian. The law does not give life to Israel, didn't give life to us. The law regulated their life. So similarly, the law was sent to reveal God's perfect standard of righteousness and discipline the offenses under the law. The law showed what was wrong in us and the standard by which we must be called to and that we could never meet it. And the law was to take us and introduce us to Christ who would satisfy the perfect standard of the law, cause us to be born again, put his life within us, and make us who we ought to be as sons. So the same way the guardian acted in the ancient world, the law acted. 
And so, but once the child reached maturity and was adopted as a full son in the family, the job's tutor, the tutor was over. He walked off the case and never did return. So once we've accepted Christ, we've been adopted into his family as full-fledged sons of God. We have no more, the law has no more control or has no more influence or authority over us. Jesus gave us a perfect right standing with the Father and then imparted his holy, perfect life in us. And guess what? He's adopted you, but first of all, he, he was the one that gave you birth. So you're not, oh, this wayward child, this poor waif. And I guess I'm just going to bring you into my family and call you my own. No, no, no. When you accepted Jesus, you were born of God. Tell someone you were born of God. When you got born again, the DNA of the Lord Jesus Christ was put in your spirit. That's called regeneration. Tell someone baby got new genes. When you were born as a baby, as a child of God, you were, you were given new genes. And you don't have to wait as they did. The minute you're born again, God sees you in fullness of a son with the rights to the family name. And all the resources is given to you at your dispense. Now, it takes a while to grow in our side to understand who we are, to understand that we're sons of God, understand our authority, understand our rights, understand what belongs to us. That takes a little while. Tell someone you need to maybe renew your mind a little. That we might be justified by faith. Does anyone even know what the word justified means? I'm going to hear it. Go ahead, say it. Justified, never sinned. Well, that's the result of it. Just as if I never sinned. But if you want to look it up in the actual Greek lexicons of the day, uh, lexicon is not a little green guy. It's, a, it's, a, it's an original language dictionary. If you, if you look at all the original language dictionaries of the word righteous or justified... They're the same root word. Justify, righteous, same root word. To be justified means this. To be declared just as you ought to be. I have a question for you. If you've been born again. Raise your hand if you've been born again. Okay, this is your question. Do you believe in your heart? Now be careful now. I don't, want to, I don't want any bobbleheading me. I'm not saying do you believe the theology or in agreement with the theology. I'm saying do you believe this question in the basement level of your belief system? So there's a difference between thoughts here and you agree with doctrine and teaching and precepts and concepts. And, but, but another thing is that you believe in your, the basement level of your soul. Science calls it the subconscious. The Bible calls it the heart. The heart is the place of beliefs. And your, gut, your life is governed more by beliefs than anything else. Animals are governed by their instinct, their DNA, their makeup. Tell someone you're not an animal. You're made in the image of God. And so 98% of all of your behavior is governed by heart beliefs. What you believe subconsciously even. You might not even consciously understand, but these beliefs are in your heart, and that's what's driving your life. 
That's what allows you to drive a car for 20 miles and don't even realize the, woke up and say, I don't even count, I don't remember the last 20 miles. Because it's part of the subconscious, it just, you're doing it and don't realize it. So I have a question for you. Do you believe in a heart level that you are just as you ought to be before God? Now, it's easy to say, well, but do you believe that? Well, if you say no, thank you for being honest, the few that are willing to be honest here. But secondly, you have your eyes on the wrong place. If you say, because some of you is on the inside, you're smiling at me so nice. When I ask you, do you believe you're just as you ought to believe, and you're smiling so nice and sweetly, but on the inside you're like, hey, there's not a chance. <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> well, why are you reacting that way? Because you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking at your performance. You're looking at how you messed up and, and maybe the argument you had with your spouse. Now, don't look right now. Don't look. You'll mess things up if you look right now. You, you've seen your past and... and and you're checking your emotions, and I don't feel that way, and I don't, I don't look that way, and, but you're looking the wrong way. Righteousness is not what you do, it's who you are. And you're a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. Who you are is who you are in your spirit, man. If you're born again, you've been made perfect in your spirit. We're going to find out how perfect in a little bit. But you may be perfect in your spirit. And so you're not an emotion, you're not a mind, you're not a will, you're a spirit. And so you need to understand in your spirit, in your identity, your, your spirit is your identity. An unbeliever is a sinner because you're not born again. If you're born again, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's your identity, righteous. And so you have to understand who you are on the inside. You need revelation of who you are. And so... Answer that question. Do I believe I am just as I ought to be before God? Well, Pastor, I'm not there. I'll be honest with you, I'm not there. Well, how do you get there? Well, let me tell you, the only way you're going to get there is through humility. I've been trying to be humble for years, and the more humble I try to be, the more prideful I get. Let me tell you, the worst way to try to be humble is try to be humble. Let me tell you the fastest way to humility. You want a wormhole to humility? You want to get there immediately? Be there. Agree with God. Agree with Him. Whatever He says, agree with Him. That's humility. Well, I don't feel. God said I'm the righteous God in Christ Jesus, but I don't feel righteous. So I'm not going to be fake. No, you're being prideful. Because you just told me that you're elevating your feelings above God. And he made your feelings God. And so the humble says, I'm going to agree with you. And so to make this change, you need to start speaking. Whatever God's asked you to do in the new covenant, you do it by faith. And I'm sorry, you cannot divorce faith from speaking. 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 And so the only way you're going to start renewing this heart belief is you need to start speaking in line with what God says about you. 
And so, so the first time you say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you're like, that's really, um, I feel like I'm taking a shower with my socks on. <laughs> Don't feel comfortable with that. Why, 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 why are you not? Because your mind and heart's not renewed. It's playing different tapes. It's different in a different group. You need to renew that by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. And the Spirit of truth only works with the truth. He won't work with your lies about yourself. Well, I'm worthless. I'm nothing. I'm poor. I'm nothing. I'm broke. I'm lousy. I'm... See, those are lies. If you're born again, those are lies. You're telling yourself. The Spirit of God will not come in line with it. He will not work with that. But if you start speaking what God said, He will work with that. And that's what's called sanctification. That's when the process in your soul starts changing, your belief starts changing, and what's on the inside starts coming out in a greater degree. And it's like a butterfly that comes out, and all of a sudden you're going to start flying like a monarch that you already are. Look at verse 25. But after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. Say, after faith has come. come. There's some today in some of our grace camps that are only saying, after grace has come. After grace has come. After grace has come. Well, that's true. Grace has come, but you also have to have the fullness of the flip side. You also have to say, after faith has come. Say, after grace has come, and after faith has come. You need, to, you need to close the circuit. You need to receive that grace. It's not automatic. Because if grace was automatic, and God's will is everybody be saved, everybody be healed, everybody be made prosperous and set free from addictions, that's the will of God, isn't it? If it's just grace, then we all be the same. Same healing, same prosperity, same freedom. The whole world would be experiencing it. But guys, it's not just by grace. It's also by faith. And faith is at the different levels of revelation, of appropriation of what grace is providing. And so after faith has come, you're no longer under the tutor. But probably the problem with Christians is a lot of them don't have a revelation of the grace of God and the faith in God's grace, and they still live under this guardian. Of these standards they have to meet in order to try to be acceptable to God. They go to church enough. They pray enough, they read the Bible enough, if they witness enough, but enough, enough is never enough. The devil's always going to be there to pick out the point where you miss it. And you're going to have guilt, and you're going to have condemnation, and you're going to be in that prison. It's time to come out of that lifestyle. Into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. And we're going to talk about what does it mean to have the liberty of the sons of God. Look at verse 26. For you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, first of all, I'm going to help the ladies out. You struggle with this, ladies. I am a son. I'm a daughter. Okay, son is not a sex in the Bible. It's a position. Sonship is a position, not a sex. We're going to find out later in Christ Jesus there's no male or female. 
distinction. Sonship is a position, ladies. And you're in the position of sonship. Well, well, what does sonship look like? Well, you're in Christ, so he is the son of God. And everything the father has, he owns and possesses and utilizes. And now in that position, guess what? You get to share it. Notice the word all. I did a deep word study on the word all. And it means all. And this is where our universalist friends come in to mess things up. And they say, this verse teaches all of humanity is the sons of God. Uh, Hold on. The book of Galatians was not written to all of humanity. It was written to believers. And let's clarify this. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Sons of God. Notice here, all Christians are legal adult sons in the family of God, full access to the family name, to the family resources. Being a son is not a sexist position. Now, look at Ephesians 1.3. This is what belongs to you as a son, the position of a son. Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be God the Father. Do you know God's blessed? Do you know God is blessed? How blessed is God? Well, as blessed as that is, Jesus is blessed because he's the heir, the direct heir of his father, and everything the father has was given to Jesus. But hold on a second. When you accepted him as Lord and Savior, you were born again into him, and you share his position as a son. So how blessed are you? Well, let's read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, is that past tense? Okay, then you still are. Has blessed us with... If there's a blessing in heavenly places, you got it. Well, I don't see it. Because that's nice to have spiritual blessing, but my apartment complex does not take spiritual blessing. They take money, cash. So, Pastor, that's great in the by and by. He helping me here. Well, hold on a second. Everything in the natural came out of the spirit realm, out of that realm. Everything that you see came out of that. So where's that money going to come from? So you don't have a money problem. You have a revelation problem. Look at Philippians 4.19. We're, we're, in the context, it's talking about God meeting your financial needs. Read the whole chapter talking about money. Philippians 4.19, and as you know, we need to go Pentecostal with this. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's not get, let's come down out of Pentecostal. 
All my need, according to finances, shall be supplied by his riches where? Oh. Oh. You don't have a money problem. You have a revelation problem. You don't know who your daddy is. Your daddy. He uses gold as concrete. Through faith, we participate as a son. Look at verse 27. For as many as, as many of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus has put on Christ. Notice it didn't say everyone's been baptized into Christ. It says as many of you were as were baptized into Christ. Well, pastor, this is talking about water baptism, and some people were water baptized, and some people weren't water baptized. No, this is not water baptism. How do I know it's not water baptism? Because water, baptize, water baptism does not baptize you into Christ. It's the Spirit of God's baptism into the Christ that puts you into Christ. Water baptism is a later demonstration, outward demonstration of what took place in your heart where you were baptized by the Spirit into Christ. And when you were born again, you were baptized into Christ and then you put on His identity. As many as of you. So, so if there's some that have been baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ and some have not. Unbelievers have not. You do it by faith. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. This is the spiritual baptism when you got born again. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been given, made to drink into one spirit. That happened when you got born again. Look at Romans 6, 4. Here's another verse talking about the spiritual baptism we received. And water baptism is just an outward example. And we're going to do that on Easter. If you've not been water baptized, that's basically an outward demonstration to everybody that you've accepted Jesus and you're not the old person you used to be. You're not the old sinner. That you were buried. You died and you were buried. And I learned one important thing about if you're going to do baptism, bring them back up again. <laughs> I'm going to say, you're not dead yet. You're not, you're struggling. We will not do that to you. We'll bring you immediately back up. But it's just an hour to some, what happened to you? You died, you bury someone that's dead, you raise the newness of life. Romans 6, 4, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we would walk in newness of life, the new birth. The word baptize came from a, a transliteration. We didn't have a Greek word, a, a New English word for it, so we just brought it over. It's the Greek word baptizo, baptizo, where we get baptized. Baptizo describes the process of an introduction or placing of an individual into a new environment. Here, Christ, the environment of Christ, which the result of is an unbreakable union for, that forever alters the individual's relationship with the previous environment and forever changes them. That's what baptizo is. An example is a white cloth, and you submerge it. Baptizo means to submerge, not to sprinkle. It means to submerge. You, you don't sprinkle a dead person with dirt. I mean, you bury him, submerge him under the ground. And so you take a white cloth and you submerge it in red dye. 
and you pull it back out, guess what? You don't have a white cloth anymore. It's forever going to be red. Red had gotten into the very fibers of its being. When we're baptized into Christ by the Spirit, it altered you forever and changed your nature. The nature of Jesus Christ. And so you were baptized into Christ. So being united to Christ means you're connected to everything Christ ever did and is in your salvation. When we're baptized into him, we participate in his obedient life under the law, his suffering death, his glorious resurrection, and you take on the new nature in your spirit man. And when you're baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. Say, put on. on. Paul is fond of using terms, put off the old man, put on the new man, put off, put on, put off, put on. That's clothing terms. And, and clothing terms, is a, it speaks of identity, your identification. You know, clothing is one of the major ways we identify ourselves. Do you know that uh, policemen do not wear nurses' uniforms? Firemen do not wear cowboy outfits? They all have clothing that identifies who we are or the sense of who we are. And we've, when we were the old man, we had, we had an identity we believed of the old man. And we outwardly displayed who we thought we were. And God's saying, now you had an identity change. So you need to take the old dirty garments that don't belong to your new identity. You need to discard them. Don't, don't try to wash them. You discard them. And put on the fresh garments of Christ. And that new identity you have in him. You've put on... Christ. This Again, this goes back to the Roman custom of adoption. And so when someone attained to the age of adoption, there was a robe put on them called the toga virilis. The toga virilis. And this was the garment of manhood. It was the garment of sonship to where you could recognize them as a citizen and adult son. And you put on the garment. When you got born again, you got a garment put on you called the robe of righteousness. The the robe of sonship. But you have the still mentality of a slave. See, if you renew your mind that you're royalty, you're not comfortable being in rags anymore. And religion tells you you need to change, clean up your action. Stop doing this, that, and the other. You need to be holy. And God's saying you need to believe something different. You need to understand who I've made you to be in your newborn again spirit. Renew your mind to this. Let me help you understand. Suppose a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Hold on, hold on. It, It gets better. It gets better. Suppose a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers is traded to the Dallas Cowboys. And he shows up at AT AT&T Stadium in Dallas still wearing his Steelers jersey. What will the new coach and the teammates say? You need to either change your uniform or go back to Pittsburgh. Well, guess what? You've been traded from Adam to Christ. So stop wearing your old Adam's family jersey. 
and put on Christ's jersey. Because you went from the Adams family to Christ just like this. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the mature legal heir of God and everything he owns. He has full access to the family name and resources. But when you were born again in him, you put on Christ. You put on the position of son, his position of son. And you're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. How blessed are you? How blessed is Jesus? Look at Romans 3, 13, 14. We've put on Christ, but in Romans, he says something interesting. Romans 13, 14, he says, but put on Christ Jesus. Well, pastor, I thought I already put him on when I got born. You did in your spirit. That's your identity. But now you need to put it on in your thoughts and your, and your mental processes and, and the way you live life and you think about life and you live life. You live as a son, not as a slave. Not as condemned and worthless and, and have nothing and can do nothing, but one that has everything and can do all and is accepted fully just as Jesus is. Amen. Ephesians 4.22 talks about the process that you need to, to go through for this process. Ephesians 4.22 says that you are to put off concerning the former conduct the old man. See, we, we read scriptures wrong. We got spiritual dyslexia. We, we read this verse as, well, I got to put off the old man. I've been trying, Pastor. I'm trying to put off the old man. Well, I'm trying to crucify the old man, Pastor. Have you ever thought about how impossible it is to crucify yourself? Let me think. Put your thinking cap on. You may be able to nail one nail in. If you're very dexterous, you may be able to get the other nail in. But I'd like to see you get the third one in. Crucifixion is not what you do to yourself. It's what's done to you. Amen. Jesus didn't crucify himself. He was crucified. And you don't have to crucify yourself because you've already been crucified the person of Jesus. That old man's already died with Christ. What are you to put off? The, current, the former conduct. That old slave mentality. That old... That old worthy, condemned, guilty, no good person that you had a mentality of. Well, where do I go to change clothes? I don't want to embarrass anybody. Where do I go to change my clothes? Let me show you where the closet is where you change your clothes. Look at verse 23. Is where are you going to go to change your clothes? And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Where are you going to take off that old garment in, that old, in your mindset, in your thinking? And where are you going to put on the new identity, the new clothing of the being a son? It's in your mind. But everything you do in the new covenant, you must do by faith, and you can't separate faith from speaking. Amen. You need to start speaking who you are. And the thoughts come to you. I know the thoughts come. The enemy sends them to you, bringing up how the guilt and bringing up what you've done and brings up all those things and screams in your head that you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. And the only way you're going to stop it is with words. You've got to stop it with words. Don't try to stop it with thoughts. You stop thoughts with words. If I, if I had you count in your mind to ten, and then I said, stop, 
I stopped your mental process with words. The minute you say something, that process has to stop. Thoughts have to stop. It's governed, your thoughts are governed under your tongue. Putting on Christ means you take on his likeness and his role in your mind and you start speaking it. And it's practice. Stand to your feet. Say, Father, Father, thank you that you're blessed. blessed. And I thank you that Jesus is blessed. But I believe I'm as blessed as you are and Jesus is. Because in Christ Jesus, I am your son. Father, I thank you you love me just as much as you love Jesus. I thank you that I'm as righteous as Jesus is. Because he's my righteousness. Lord, I thank you I'm as pure as Jesus is. Because he's my purity. I thank you, I'm your son. Fully accepted by you. Completely loved by you. And you love to move and bless me. As much as you love to bless Jesus. What went on in here? Somebody like, yeah, I'm starting to feel, I'm starting to feel good. He was like, yeah! woo that's the one that got the revelation. But you must do this. It's not enough for pastor to do this. You need to do this. Sometimes you might even look in the mirror, or maybe not. But you need to do this. And the more you do it, the more it sinks in. It's, not just, a, it's just not an understanding mentally. It's a belief. You can be seated. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave or free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. What's this verse bring out? This verse brings out everything man uses to, divide, to distinguish themselves as unique and divide from one another. These very things has divided humanity from the very beginning and brought nothing but heartache and contention and hurt and division. And he says it's all removed in Christ Jesus. What is he saying here? Neither Jew nor Greek. Well, he's basically, it was Jew in all the nations. You weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. You were what the Greek ethnos. In Christ, there's no inequality between races at all. You have, you have perfect standing in Christ Jesus. And when you got born again, you've actually entered into a new race called the new creation. I believe in 1 Corinthians 9, around verse 27. Don't pop it up because it might be wrong. If it is right, pop it up. 
He says, give neither offense to neither Jew nor Greek nor the church of God. God sees three races of people in the earth. Jew, Gentile, and, the, and a third one called the new creation. Well, pastor, in Christ, what color am I? You are shining light. God is light and you're light in the Lord. You saw your spirit, it'd be lit up, shining. That's your color. In Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Hey, Jesus. I'm sorry, Jesus. It's getting late and you know I'm tired. In Christ. In Christ Jesus, there's neither slave nor free. That means there's no inequality of classes, class distinction, rich, poor, in, out, right side tracks, wrong side of the tracks. No, in Christ Jesus, there's one status, class, sons, and free. And there's neither distinction between male nor female. For millennia, I'm sorry, ladies, you, ladies were, were a lower, seen as a lower class than men. But actually, that's... <laughs> in God's sight, there's no distinction at all between male and female. In God's sight, in Christ. Now, I'm going to have to say, there is a difference between men and women in the natural. And you have your own bathroom to go to. <laughs> and if you're confused in which you are, check your plumbing. <laughs> Didn't think I'd ever have to say that. There is a distinction in the natural between a man and a woman. And in the natural home, the husband is the head of the home. There's, a, there's authority structure in the natural home. But the husband is not the spiritual head of the woman. He's the natural head. You don't have to go through your husband to have a relationship with God. You don't have, he's not your priest. You have your own priesthood before the Father. He's, Jesus is your spiritual head. And so you have full access to this sonship even though you're a female. You're all one. One means equivalent to. You're all equivalent to each other in Christ. Grace and faith are the great levelers of humanity. So we must all humble ourselves before the cross and admit all that we are, we all are equally unworthy of God's salvation and favor. And we must simply receive grace by faith and who we are is by the grace of God. And we're all on the same ground. Verse 29. And if you are Christ's, oh, wait a minute. Our universalist friends would tell us everybody's in Christ. He died for everybody, so everybody's automatically saved. Everybody, well, hold on a second. That would not even be necessary to say if you are Christ's. Because not everybody's Christ. If you are Christ's, then your Abraham's seed Heirs according to the promise. See, Christ, 
The promise was made to Abraham and to his seed. Who was Abraham's seed? Jesus was his seed. That, and the prom, what was the promise? That, that he would be heir of this entire world. Was given, the world was given to Abraham and to his seed, Jesus Christ. Hold on a second. When you accepted Jesus, you got in him, and you equally share everything he is. And if he's the seed of Abraham, guess who you are? You're a seed. Tell someone you're a seed. Some seeds are bigger than other seeds, but you're a seed. You're a seed of Abraham, an heir according to the promise. Everything Jesus owns, you own it too. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for the grace of God. And we're no longer under a lifestyle of trying to merit acceptance with you and trying to be good enough for you because we'd always, we failed and we held into a prison of guilt. But Jesus, you came and gave us the offer of freedom. And each person has to make that decision. Will I stand on my own performance or will I accept Jesus' forgiveness and his work on the cross and his perfection, accept him as my new identity? And Father, there's some here today that they've accepted salvation, but in their mind they still are living below their calling as sons of God. And have a mentality of lack and a mentality of unworthiness. And by the Holy Spirit, I pray that even this week you would continue to marinate them in this message. That in the, in the spirit of their mind, in the core of their mind and what they believe, there would be an exchange for dirty garments forever thrown away. And the fresh garment of sonship would be put on to remain on. That they live like the sun that you created them to be in this earth. And the spirit of God will start flowing and moving to confirm it and to manifest it in every single way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I got this picture in first service, but it's burning up on the inside of me again, so it must be for people here too. Um, we sang two songs that talk about the veil being removed between us and the Lord. And I had a picture of God sitting with someone at a table and just revealing himself to them, who he was to them and through them, that they're righteous, they're pure, they're holy because they're in Christ. And it was like the table, it was like a dining table, but it was God's table. And it wasn't here in the natural, it was where we are seated in Christ in heavenly places. And so just imagine yourself seated in Christ in heavenly places at his table and him telling you what we're studying in the word of God. And that's true. And the second picture that I had was God sitting with a married couple. And this married couple um, needed to hear what God was saying to them about being a married couple. That your marriage isn't just about you and just about stuff here on this natural earth, but there are higher purposes for your marriage than you even realize. And there may be some here who are ready to say, I'm done. And I'm here to tell you this morning, don't quit. If you're struggling in the natural, go to those seated in, in Christ in heavenly places and ask him, what is the purpose of our marriage? You know, the word tells us that we're supposed to be a picture of Christ in the church. There's one. You can start from there. 
But if you're struggling and if anybody here is saying, I'm ready to quit and give it up, don't stop. The Lord is telling you, don't stop. There's more. If you have the best marriage in the room, don't stop. There's more. Go to that place, seated in Christ in heavenly places, and ask him, and he will show it to you. There are people here this morning that are trying to live their new life in Christ, and the devil is nagging them and telling them you're being a phony. You're being fake. I know you. This isn't who you are. And I want to remind you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No turning back. Strive forward. The devil is lying to you. He lives to steal, kill, and destroy, and we are new creations in Christ. That is not true of us. The Lord knows who you are, and the devil is lying to you. Kind of piggybacks on that, actually. Today's message, y'all, was so powerful, and I want to just exhort you, go back and listen again. If you took notes, go back and listen again. Continue to allow that. We have got to know who we are in Christ. If we don't, the destiny, the calling, the purpose, the plan for each person here individually is going to be stolen from. So I just exhort you, don't just hear this one time, and yeah, that was good, yay, and it was. But we've got to keep taking it in. We've got to keep building ourselves up in this truth. 